Welcome to the Generous Business Owner Podcast, where business owners gain inspiration and encouragement to live a legacy, not just leave one. And now your hosts, Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Welcome, everybody, to the Generous Business Owner Podcast. My name is Jeff Thomas, one of the co-hosts of the show, and we have a very, 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 yes, that's three varies, special guests with us today, two fresh co-hosts. One is Sarah Fontenot, who works uh, with me at Arcos Global Advisors. He helps lead our client advice department and is our resident family and legacy expert and has a real passion for working with women. And then we also have with us another co-host, Elisa Huber, who is also secretly the daughter of Jeff Rutt. Uh, so there might be a reason that she knows about us. Uh, she's a board member at Hope International on the national level uh, and was a 10-year staff member there at Hope. Before she, and, and, and here's the uh, fun fact, she just had her third girl, literally as we're recording this, last Friday. So shout out to Elisa. <laughs> Elisa, thanks for being with us uh, and, and on such short notice after uh, giving birth. And then our guest today is Julie Wilson from Richmond, Virginia, who is the president of Women, Women Doing Well. And we'll get into more about what that organization does and her background. But I'm going to take a mostly a back seat today and let uh, Sarah and Elisa do most of the question asking. But Julie, thanks for being with us. Let me just greet you first. So glad to be here. Thanks and for having Sarah, me. Sarah, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Jeff. And Elisa, you as well. Thank you. I'm so excited. All right. So Sarah, take it away. Awesome. Well, the first question we always like to ask on the Generous Business Owners podcast is, Julie, what was life like for you growing up, your family, early years? So I grew up in Granby, Connecticut, a small town in the north. And my father was a very ambitious man and started his career in insurance. But when I was in sixth grade, when I was 12, he moved us to Miami, Florida to start a business. And that was quite an adventure because we were full-blood, you know, New Englanders and we landed in Miami, Florida, and that is not anything like the North. And so we just, it was a pure startup. My dad did not grow up in a business home. So he, you know, it was three years of really hitting the, the street, but that three-year mark, he just really became successful. So I grew up in an entrepreneurial home and I really believe that that influenced me greatly. I had a real heart for big things happening. And my dad kind of loved that life. And my mom was the most hospitable person. She could throw a party like nobody's business. And so I just had a really uh, exciting childhood, I would say. It was also filled with all the things that while we went to church every Sunday, I did not know Christ in the way that I know him today. It was much more of a religion than it was a relationship. And so our home was filled with a lot of stress and a lot mm -hmm. of chaos, honestly, just mm -hmm. as you would expect. And it was a wonderful upbringing, but I saw behind the curtain what money can do to a family. And also even in the church, I think people misunderstood our spirituality because as uh, my father's, you know, the first three years were hard and we almost had to go back to New England. And my dad says that he had $20 left. It was like game over. We're going home, you know, pack up the bags. We gave it our best try. 
And my mom, when we moved from Connecticut to Florida, wanted to go to a Bible teaching church. She had become a Christian through Guidepost magazine, but had never had any discipleship. And so she told my dad, I'll move there, but I want full control of the air conditioning and I want to go to a Bible teaching church and I want you to come with me. And so she found a wonderful uh, church in Miami that was solid as a rock. And we started going there. And when my dad was at that really low point, there was a sermon on uh, giving past the tithe, you know, trusting God. And my dad will say he had been in church his whole life, but he wasn't really a believer. But he was a man who liked to challenge. So he's like, game on, God. You say, oh, here's my last 20. And that week he got a very large business. No way. Put him on the map. So all these years later, my whole family came to Christ through essentially through executive ministries and Redeemer Presbyterian Church, that combination. And my father, when I asked him about why he was so generous growing up, and he said, well, I was afraid not to tithe. And so my tithe just kept getting bigger. And so I believe that the church misunderstood the financial success. They got that mixed up with spiritual success. And so, you know, I don't fault anybody in the church I grew up in. I was the front girl. I was singing in the choir, Amy Grant, Sandy Patty, you know. So I had a really rich upbringing, but spiritually, I did not find things until I was in my 20s in New York City. Well, how did that impact you to see especially the, the early years to go from kind of a stable home to entrepreneur, that can have a big impact, especially on a young girl. Do you see that that influenced kind of the career choices you made or? So my dad, like I said, really wanted success from day one. So I actually started my first business in second grade. So I would take my dad's office supplies, which is stealing. I found that out later because I got in trouble. So I, I would take my dad's office supplies and my friend Scott and I would trade you know, office supplies for better lunch items. And one day Scott had too much of our product and threw up on me. And we were, the game was over. Like they found on our desk, all this stuff. And we were taken to the principal's office. My dad's like, where were you getting this stuff? I said, well, I was just taking it from your office. Like that's stealing. You can't do that. (laughs) And so I've had in my heart, this idea of creating and doing and leading, but I'm a child of the seventies. And my father was of the ilk and he, says it was the dumbest thing he ever said. So I want to protect him. But he told my mother, no wife of mine's going to work. And my mom was a physical therapist. She could have funded his whole like starting a business. But back then you just didn't do that. So I had a narrative in my mind that like women who were good didn't work. Mm -hmm. And when I went off to Boston University to pursue my dream of getting, you know, myself on the map, I, I wanted to be a TV journalist, basically. And He said, I'll send you there and I'll pay for it, but you better not become a feminist. You know, he's like, you know, these comments that people just make, you go, oh, okay. But in my heart, deep in my heart, was all that spiritual truth I got growing up that was scripture. And I wanted to be part of a movement. I took a class at BU called Movements, and it was the men's movement, the women's movement, the environmental movement. And this professor was so fabulous. And I was like, I love movements. Like, this is what I want to be part of. Little did I know, a year later, I would land in New York City, get my dream job at NBC, and become a Christian that week. Uh, You know, not all at once, obviously. But like, there was like so much that happened. And and it dawned on me in one of those early Bible studies that I was participating in that I'm part of a big movement. Jesus is a movement. Like, holy smokes, this thing's like 2,000 years old. Like, this is the... And so 
I feel that I went right into ministry. I had been a Christian five months when the Lord called me to work with a ministry in New York City that ended up becoming part of Campus Crusade, which is a now called Crew. It's a global movement. I did that for 14 years and um, and then it started with generous giving um, for 12 years. So I've just kind of, I've evolved into a whole different type of entrepreneurial work, but it was in there from really early, like second grade. So. Well, that gets us up to speed on, you, you know, your early, I love on your LinkedIn profile, it has that little stint on NBC News and it makes sense. You became a believer and you went right into the Jesus movement. I love that. Um, so I'm really, I'm going to kick it to Elisa and uh, just to dive more into now that, you know, you're at Women Doing Well, Generous Giving, kind of that whole world and how that, how you kind of got there and then the metamorphosis that maybe the transformation you went through just in the years that you've been there. So Elisa, I'll kick it to you. Yeah, Julie, I'd love to hear what led you to Women Doing Well. I've loved my own experience with peer groups, but maybe for those that don't know about it, could you explain the core the core focus areas of women doing well? I sure can. So the name itself kind of tells you a little bit about what it is. Wellness starts, or giving well starts with doing well. And most women are busy, bitter, or bored. And none of those are what God's perfect plan for women is. Women really need to be integrated to have a wholehearted life, and that includes their giving. And what I love about Women Doing Well is it found me. I did not find it. I was at Generous Giving. That's a fabulous generosity organization. If you're not familiar with it, that's wonderful. And my boss at the time and I were really working on how do we reach women. I kept saying, I think we need it differently. Like I need some money to do it differently. And there just wasn't that at that time. But he came in my office and he said, these women, they're doing a research study on women and giving. Should we participate? And I said, yes. That would be great. Let's do that because then we'll have it in black and white. And sure enough, these the founders of Women Doing Well were very ahead of their time. And they saw this growing influence and affluence of women that 51% of the wealth at that time was in the hands of women. So we know it's somewhere between 50 and um, 60 right now. And by 2030, 63% of the wealth will be held by women. There's lots of factors that go into that. It's not an emotional thing. It just is. That's just what's happening. The wealth transfer is 80% of the money that will be given away will be given by women. And so they saw this and got ahead of it, but they were a little ahead of their time. So the research came out. It's a solid body of research. It's the largest in the world, even now, because they were praying for 300 women to fill out the survey and 7,336 filled it out. So it is a large survey and it gave the keys to her, to her heart around what would exponentially grow her generosity. And it was three things, purpose, passion, and plan. And they were basically consulting with organizations trying to help them serve their female donors. And at that time, there just wasn't a market for it. And they were growing really, really discouraged. And they met an entrepreneurial woman from Generous Giving who said, forget the organizations, take this message direct to women and their giving will come alive. I didn't know any of this, and I'm part of this generosity space. This is game changing. So basically, there was sort of a, a mer not a merger, but just a, a working together with volunteers from Generous Giving and the four founders and just a whole group of women just started to put together a program based on the research. And it took off. It just took off. And so it had five years just as on a, you know, wing and a prayer. And then there was 
you know, lots of help from different organizations until 2020, we actually reestablished as a nonprofit. And we've been working since 2020, sharing this message with women and with organizations, because organizations are now very interested in how they can better serve female philanthropists and generous givers. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I've loved my own experience walking through the curriculum. I think it's been really powerful walking through it with community and what you have set up. One of my favorite parts was the section that talks about finding your purpose and walking through that activity. And for me, I found affirming significance was my passion and purpose area. Uh, But I'd be curious to hear what it is for you and how that's impacted you in this season. Thank you for asking. So that tool is so powerful. And long before Women Doing Well or Generous Giving, Mary Tomlinson led a workshop in Orlando. I was on a board and she came in and she did this workshop with us. And it was a season of my life where I was pretty burned out because I was busy. You know, the busy border or um, busy board or bitter. Bitter. (laughs) Thank you. I was like, what's the third one? I say this all the time. And I was really busy and I was tired. And my two-word purpose is cultivating change. And as I was looking at my calendar, I was doing a lot of steady state. And that just drains me. It's not that those things are bad, but the way God's wired me, I have to limit how much steady state I do. So that was game-changing. It Really, I say it saved my life because I think I would have had health issues if I had kept up at that pace. And then when I found out that the research showed that women needed purpose. I was like, I got your tool. Like, oh my gosh, like this. And so we just partner with On Purpose Partners and deliver that tool through our pathway. And it's so powerful. And it, it they have it for men too. It, you can go to On Purpose Partners and take the quiz online. And it's, it's super powerful because it's your why. It isn't what job you should have. It isn't really anything specific. It probably means nothing to you that might's cultivating change. But For me, when I get off kilter, I go, okay, take a breath. What am I doing that's off purpose here? Because I'm draining out. And generally speaking, it's I'm doing too many things that are outside of the way God's wired me. And it just, it drains me. But if I'm doing this kind of stuff all day long, I could do it till two o'clock in the morning (laughs) and thank you, you know, and just be like, thank you for letting me do this. I feel so energized. I'll get five hours of sleep. I don't care, you know, so yeah, I would agree with that word powerful. I think it was powerful to walk through that. And then it created some really incredible conversations within our peer group and then with others as I reflected on. So that was a great part of the curriculum. I'd be curious if you could share what impact you've seen with women who walked through uh, the either broadly or specific stories. What What have you seen? So statistically, we've seen a really consistent changed life and change giving life. So uh, we actually, women wanted to be, uh, they wanted to explore generosity from more than just a financial lens. That was in the research. So we actually explore how you give your time, your expertise, your money. We even get into how to be generous of heart. You know, like how do you just like be a kinder person? So 88% of women that go through our pathway increase their financial giving. 69% become, give more on purpose time. So that means they've thought through kind of how God has made them and what their why is, and they align their giving of time to that so that it can be more joyful. And then I can't remember right now the statistics, but I think it's around 70% say that they've rolled off of some sort of activity 
that was off purpose for them. We celebrate that because we know when a woman says no to something, her yes becomes so electric and life-changing and it affects her entire community, her family and even her friends. They're like, what are you having? What's going on with you? You used to be so depressed and now you're just like full of life and you can't get enough of the things that you're doing. And that that's an on-purpose person. Could be a man too, right? Like my husband has his purpose statement. It's thoroughly helped our marriage. His is assuring significance. So like you, people and very specific things matter. Me, I want big, I want, you know, expansion. And so when we go to give a gift, say we have a large gift to give, I'll want to give it to a small organization that needs some kind of leverage move to get bigger. He'll want to give to a specific person who needs to know that they, God hasn't forgotten their mission and, their, and them as a leader. And so we just have to work that out. It, but it's so helpful to our conversations to just be like, hey, this one's yours, babe. You take that one. Like, I'm going to cheer you on. It's not what I would give to you, but I love that this jazz is you, so you go for it. So it's just a really helpful tool in every way. That is. That's so great. I love that you can go deeper on your yes and let go of the guilt of when you have to say no. And what great language to put around the conversations that you're having. That's so helpful. I'd love to hear what are the dreams for the future? We're all thinking about our dreams and our goals. What What's next for women doing well? Well, we are, we've short, we developed this pathway during COVID. So we used to have a six hour retreat that could be done in a country club or in somebody's home. And we always dreamed of actually having a longer runway because women actually said they really needed that. So what we've designed is more of a discipleship tool around who you are, what you have, and how to get it working in the world. So we're really not a Bible study. We're not like sitting around. I mean, there's Bible elements of it, but this is really an activation tool. It's designed to be like boot camp. Like we're going to get you in shape, get you confident, get you courageous, get you connected. You have community, people to cheer you on, people to ask your hard questions to. But ultimately, we want you to move on and activate in the passion areas that God's given you for the season. And mostly, I would say 75 to 80% of women activate outside of women doing well. There's nothing really to join. And that's super intentional because women don't need another women's ministry. There's so many good ones, but they do need this season to kind of get their confidence and their courage and even believe that they have something to give. Not every woman, obviously, this is a super generalization, but most women I talk to, their biggest fear is, I really don't have anything to give. Who am I? Mm-hmm. Like, who would want me on their board? There's, there's just a narrative that the enemy has deeply seeded in the hearts of women. And actually, it's rubbed off on the men in their life, right? So the men are like, I just don't think my wife would want to do all that because that's what she's saying to him. But truly, when you uncover some of these truths of who you are and why God's given you more than you need, it becomes your lifeline to the life that you were either drinking a little too much wine, shopping a little too much, overdoing it on the volunteering to kind of fill that gap. All that gets so clear. And you are like, ah, you know, going where you, and it doesn't happen overnight. I can, when I communicate, sometimes it sounds like, oh, it's a magic bullet. No, it takes years, but it really gets you going directionally where God intended you to be as a, as a person that was born on this earth in this generation for this time for the church. Hey, Lisa, can I jump in there for a second? Yes, that's uh, a great intro. Yeah, to your uh, I think 
You know, the first thing that hit me, Julie, as you talked about even the board membership and what do I have that every board I've been on in the last 10 years literally says, how can we find more women? So, I mean, the disconnect there is amazing, right? So every board wants women's voices on it. And yet there's some self-talk. So I just, I love this motivation. And even from women that join some of those boards that I've been on, they're like, well, you know, I'm not, you know, maybe I'm staying at home or what. They're sort of apologetic about what they don't bring to the table. And then they add a ridiculous value. So I just love that you're demystifying that uh, to a certain extent. But the question that we talked about before we started recording today that I wanted to make sure I got in, and this is self-serving probably, certainly for me, but for all the men listening, I would love to be able to understand the way my wife, for example, thinks about money and giving in general. And so sort of we have these sort of tactical discussions, but I don't even have the right questions, I don't think, to ask her to understand how she thinks about these things. So, so can you talk a little maybe to the men out there about a question or two we could ask our houses or other women in our lives uh, about these issues? Absolutely. I think what every man listening needs to know is that if there was any movement towards her in this area, it would be such a gift. I think there's a lot of fear around, like, I don't want to say it wrong or offend, you know, whether it's a coworker, your wife, your daughter. Uh, and and I, I generally go to my two questions that I encourage men to think about asking. One is, a, is, as you think about what God's given us, usually it's the money that you're talking about, not the time. When you think about what God's given us, what are your biggest concerns? Because I think a woman's heart is generally concerned about the well-being of her family and community, and that's heavy. And oftentimes men want to fix generically speaking, right? So it's like being disciplined to not be like, well, that will be okay, honey. That, that, that. Just listen, say, tell me more. What else are you worried about? And just let her get all of it out on the table and just leave it there. I know that's hard to do, but just leave it there and ask a second question. So as we think about our giving, when have you been most excited about a gift we've given or time you've get? Like, tell me what makes your heart come alive? Because you as a man generally know, because you actually have a lot of discipleship around this, and even subconsciously in the church, we're, we're discipling men all the time. Um, so you're giving her a chance to identify, like, what do I care about? And those two questions, I'm telling you, you that will get you off to a great start. And if you're a development person, you know, you can also, or on a board and you're looking to figure out like, there's some women in our community who have capacity and they're, maybe they're not married or maybe they're widowed. You can take them to coffee and ask those two questions and say, listen, we're really trying to learn at XYZ organization how to serve you better. And I can't tell you the stories I've heard of gifts that have been given just because you asked those two questions. (laughs) A couple of them are in the million dollar, I'll just say that, because nobody's really sure how to do it. So they just don't. And I would just invite every guy to just step in, just ask, because you can't really, it's going to be hard to do damage unless you try to fix it. <laughs> it's a good it. disclaimer. <laughs> you mentioned, you mentioned Julie, whether it was coworker, wife or daughter. So do you see sometimes the women go home and begin conversations or 
the men begin conversations with their daughters? What does that look like? Yes. As a matter of fact, can I share this story? Jeff Rutt was in Switzerland at a thing that I was participating in, and we did a women's panel. And all throughout the women's panel, like, you know, he was texting the women in his family. And later he's like, I texted all the women in my family. And one of my daughters is doing your pathway right now. And I was like, oh, that's great. I was so glad to hear. And then we had lunch. And I think it was just my sense from him was, oh, I didn't even think of that. Like it wouldn't even have done. And so he was just so delightful and delighted to be in the conversation. And I, I'd be curious how that's gone. Like, what's that looking like now? Does, have, have things changed? In your family, are you talking about things more? Yeah, I mean, I think it's opened up. Yeah, just a different level of conversation. Of, I mean, we've always had open conversations as a family about giving, but yeah, it, it's it's opened up a broader uh, conversation. I think, and I've enjoyed. I think I've been able to add more to it. Just the language that I've learned through the peer groups and those connections that I feel better equipped to add to that conversation. I think as a family, we've done a good job setting the table for that. But I feel more equipped walking through the peer group to be able to contribute more significantly. So, but yeah, he was so excited about that. <laughs> well, Elisa, I think that's actually a good question. If you don't mind us pulling that string for a second, you know, with your mom and dad giving away most of the company to National Christian Foundation, I know that you know, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but you've sort of had those generosity discussions and then, you know, founding Hope International, you go on staff there. This is not that uncommon, by the way, in the families that, that we, that Sarah and I deal with, you know, we see this a lot where the parents maybe do a foundation or start a nonprofit and they almost expect the kids to be part of the thing that they're passionate about. Like, isn't this great? We're passionate about this. So now you spend 10 years, like if you did, if you didn't like it, you would have, I'm sure, found another path. But how has maybe this process of discernment for you as you're getting older, figuring out maybe your own passions, how do you look at that path you were on before and contrast that with maybe your new learning about your own personal passion? Yeah. We have been so closely connected with Hope since I was a young child and we love Hope. We've traveled to see Hope's work. And um, it was never a pressure thing. It was always an opportunity. And um, I have loved that. So was on staff and volunteering now. And I think even when I was a child, we would be given these opportunities to present to our family foundation of uh, presentations for where to make donations for the year. And it was always an open Hey, wherever. I mean, Hope's mm. great, but there's a lot of organizations doing really great work. So it was always a very open conversation. I think now a lot of the women in my peer group are young moms and or more experienced moms with older kids that are seeing what these conversations can look like in their families and have done that same thing. And so now I'm thinking about how can I involve my kids in talking about this really openly at the table of, hey, you know, we have not just financial resources to give, but we have time that we can give and we have, you know, we can take a meal to someone in need or we can be praying or volunteering for other people in need. And so involving my kids, even at four and two and, and newborn to, you know, just talk about uh, what that can look like. So I think that's one thing I walked away from 
how my family did that and how I want to take that into my own family. So yeah, it's, yeah, I think the next generation piece is, is an important one that I'm considering in the season. Yeah, that's really good. And I, and I think, Julie, can you talk a little more about this idea of the ability to say no? We were talking a little bit before we started recording about the importance of focus. And I think it's so easy for men and women to get stretched and so to say yes to everything and suddenly you're, you know, doing too much stuff and you get burnt out. Can you talk, frame that a little more? Yeah. So after you get your purpose statement, you work through a passion exercise that helps you hone in on the things that you uniquely care about. And you don't worry about your family at that point. It's just like, what has God laid on your heart? We like to say that passion often comes out of pain that you've had. And so when there's pain, there's great motivation to sacrifice. And that's really what biblical generosity is about. It's not what I can do. It's what I'm willing to do to like live on behalf of someone else. That's how Jesus did, right? Like, I love what Tim Keller says. He didn't tithe on his blood. Aren't you glad? <laughs> he gave it, he had to give it all, had to all be spilled to cover us. And so there's that model of just biblical generosity. It's not a number. It's a, it's a way of being. It's a surrender. And when you know who you are, it's easier to say, I know that God has made me this way, so I want to just live it the way he wants me to be it. So for me, uh, just a practical example, I was often asked to do steady state things at church, like nursery or greeter, because I'm outgoing and I do like kids. But those are steady state things. So I'd always be really good the first, maybe the second week. And then somebody would come through the door and I just want to cultivate change in her. So I'd be like not passing out bulletins. My husband be like, you're supposed to be passing out bulletins. I'm like, I had to chat with her. And so, and it would stress me, right? I'd be so stressed because I wasn't really doing my job well. So finding this helped me say a healthy no to those steady state things. And what that looked like is I was asked to do something and I would say, hey, I know that that needs to be done. I'm happy to do it. I'm not going to be your long-term solution. I, I really like to cultivate change. So when you have a new strategy you're trying to sell or something that just needs that startup energy, I will do that for you in a way that you won't even know it hit you. Like I'll give you my blood. But for now, I'm going to recommend that you talk to Betsy because she actually loves steady state things. You know, you just get to know who uh, you say a yes and a no at the same time. But the powerful thing is you're equipped with a way to say no that doesn't feel me or like, I'm so great. I'm a chain cultivator of change. I don't do steady state stuff. It's not about that. It's like, hey, I'll do it if you really need me to, but I'm not your long. Like, it's just not what got in. Our purpose expert likes to say, when we say yes to something that really isn't our yes, and we're just saying it because we want to either make the person happy, fill a need, we just feel this obligation as for sure as women, I'm not sure in the men world how that works, but then we get bitter because we're doing something we didn't really want to do for the wrong reason. And that, how does that glorify God? That doesn't do a thing for God. He doesn't need our time, our money, or our expertise. He is self-sufficient. So all this giving is because we get to join him. He's like a loving father who wants us to enjoy life. So he lets us play a little in his sandbox, right? So I think it's just worth fighting for saying no to really good things. And it's super life-giving because then you're mostly, you know, 80 to 90% of your time is doing the things you love. So my, my passion is women and leadership. 
So I like literally can't get enough every day. I mean, I have to put boundaries so that I take care of my family and I have a wonderful husband who is just so supportive, but I love my family, but I love what I do every day so much because I'm super aligned. And I was aligned sort of in other careers, but I mean, this is like, I don't know where I go from here because I just, I love every day. Even the worst days are so good because it's what I'm supposed to be doing. And I just want that whether you're working or you're at home and running your household, like it doesn't matter what you're doing. It matters that you're integrated and you are connected to God and to a supportive community. That's the game changer. (laughs) How would you encourage us to get involved as a next step, Julie? Gosh, well, I really think that the pathway is a great start and it doesn't cost anything. We have a a really generous patron group that makes that possible because when you're talking about generosity, you don't really want to be worrying that someone's going to be asking you for something. And so it's a real safe environment and there's really nothing to join. So a class that you're taking and then it's from COVID to now, we've taken it from 18 weeks to 12 weeks. So it's a little more doable, almost fits the Bible study format. You can do it in person. You can do it online. You could do it one day. You can do it six weeks. I mean, it's very, just go on our website, womendoingwell.org. We usually have an open group or two. And if you're a man, obviously you don't want to do our women doing well (laughs) curriculum. Um, There's wonderful uh, resources at Generous Giving for couples and for men and for women too. Uh, So I would, I would recommend those to you. But the, the truth is, I think just get in the journey of generosity, get, don't wait, run. And if you're a woman, I just can't, I can't say enough about just trying it out. Like if you hate it, you just don't show up. You know, you're paying it. It's just, it's, it's like a win-win. There's no way to lose, honestly. Mm-hmm. Take a risk. Yeah. That's a great, a great next step, the pathway. And I know a lot of people listening are business owners or they're busy executives. Like you said, they're moms, either working or not, but mom, mom life, Elisa, you can attest is, is not for the faint of heart. So uh, Julie, what is a practical baby step, just something they could implement tomorrow? You mentioned the transformation takes time. I love that you gave a nod to that. But for these women listening or even the men, what is something practical they could implement even tomorrow? So I think the two questions I asked for the men, I think you probably have women in your life. It could be family members. It could be coworkers. I would just pray and ask the Lord, who could you ask those two questions to? Just try it out right? Just get a conversation going. And I think that could lead to some beautiful things. And for women, I think just a a practical step that you could take would be to have a conversation with a trusted friend around what you're struggling with. I think just connecting, I really think that that's the key to all of this generosity is connecting with God and with, but oftentimes to get to him, you got to admit to somebody else that you're struggling somewhere. And, um, uh, that that would be the practical thing you could do. Just talk to somebody about something real that you're struggling with. Well, Julie, I can't thank you enough for being on today. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. It's been great. And Sarah and Elisa, great job. Uh, you're hired. Okay. <laughs> so thanks to our uh, co-hosts and uh, to our guest, Julie Wilson. And uh, thanks everybody for tuning in to this week's Generous Business Owner Podcast. We'll see you next week. Thanks for listening to the Generous Business Owner Podcast with Jeff Thomas, Alan Barnhart, and Jeff Rutt. Make sure to follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. You can find the guest contact information in the show notes. Stay tuned for the next episode.